the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Paul is really good at using some unique terminology in the book of Romans. Freed from sin to be slaves of righteousness. Dead to the law to be alive in grace. We're exploring these terms next here on Abounding Grace. are dead to the law. Now, this is how Paul presents our salvation in Christ. We're in Romans chapter 7 today. We'll focus in on the first six verses as we explore what Paul is talking about, this being dead to the law, alive to grace. And why do we need to be dead to the law? Why does grace supersede it? But the law is still around, isn't it? These are questions we're exploring. Here's Pastor Gary as we seek answers from God's Word on today's broadcast of Abounding Grace. Dead to the law. If you were to look back at Romans 6.14, you would read this remarkable statement. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace, not under grace law. Think of how sin and death dominated our lives before God saved us. We were senseless to the ruin that was coming our way, but there were indications that sin and its curse were bearing down on us. Twinges of guilt, a haunting dread of judgment, a frustrating sense of alienation from God. And if deliverance from these things We're the only thing that God has ever done for us. Every one of us ought to stop immediately and make a pledge that, Lord, I'm going to devote the rest of my life praising you and serving you for delivering me from such a horrible living death. Paul made this statement in 614. You're not under the law, but he didn't explain it. Instead, as he often does in his inverted style, he first, in 6, 15 through 23, addressed a concern. Some people might hear, we're not under the law. Great. It's okay for us to sin. And I spent a bit of time looking at this, that some people will draw the conclusion that since we are not under law, which they do not understand what that means, then we can ignore God's law, live as we please in some kind of spiritual fairy tale where we practically do what we want, but everything just seems to work out okay in the end. We just sprinkle some Jesus icing on our lives and say, Holy Spirit and grace loud enough, and everything is okay. Paul already denounced this in 6, 15 through 23, but now 
In Romans 7, 1 through 6, he comes back and he explains what does it mean that we are not under the law. And basically what he says is that we were delivered by Jesus Christ from the curse and, the, and that the law pronounces upon lawbreakers so that we should be married to him. Now he begins in verses 1 through 3 with a very simple summary of what it means by you are not under the law, which is death dissolves all legal obligations. We see this in verse 1, a very commonplace observation that the law rules over a man as long as he lives. If you are alive, the law has authority over you. You are ob obligated to obey its commands. You are subject to its penalties and its curses. And of course, if you are dead, that obligation is over with for very obvious reasons. And to illustrate the point in verses 2 and 3, he talks about the laws of marriage. He says in verse 2, as long as the husband is alive, his wife is bound to him. If the husband dies, then she is loosed from the law that bound her to her husband. If while her husband is alive, she marries someone else, she is an adulteress. If he is dead, she is free to remarry someone else. Now, the single point here that Paul wants to make is that death dissolves, puts an end to all legal obligations. That's the only point he's making here. It doesn't need to be pressed any further as if there are no legitimate grounds for divorce or that you can't remarry after a legitimate divorce. That is not his point in this text. His point is death puts an end to legal obligations. Now, you probably know where he's going. But before we go there, just remember, as long as we were under the law, we were completely bound to the curse that is declared against us as sinners and evildoers. Try as we might, we could not evade, get away from, be done with our accountability to God. And that is for every one of us. If you do not know the Lord, it is especially for you who needs to know that you're obligated to fulfill all the commandments of God's law perfectly, but you can't. So the law proclaims that judgment is coming to you. Now, it needs to be noted before we look at verse 4 that Paul is not talking about the law as a reflection of God's righteous character. He's not talking about law as the way a godly man, a redeemed man, obeys God from a thankful heart. He is referring to one thing, the rigors and the curses of the law that were ours by virtue of our disobedience to God before Jesus came and made us free. But in verse 4, something has happened. In Jesus Christ, we have become dead to the law. The words are become is passive, which of course means God is our only deliverer. We cannot deliver ourselves from the curse of the law. And the law is a husband 
which demands absolute obedience upon penalty of certain death to sinners. Why does it do this? Because it is the holy law of God, and we are all accountable to God and obedience to him. By the way, listen closely here. This is the reason nowhere in Scripture does the Holy Spirit ever speak in a slighting, disrespectful way against the law, even in its condemning function. He's never flippant. Think of what it would mean if he was. If the Holy Spirit and inspired authors of the Bible were to speak of the law, even in its condemning function with contempt, the Holy Spirit would disparagingly be speaking evil of himself. For he is the author of the law. And even more and even worse, if it were possible, he would be undercutting the very necessity of the cross. Why did Jesus die? It was not for sentimental purposes. It was because we were lawbreakers and the law of God being a reflection of his own holiness and as inflexible as God himself is in his justice, the law demanded our death. So notice, Jesus came forward and now we are dead to the law by the crucified body of Christ. Perhaps now a little play on words here. Jesus was nailed for our death penalty to the tree by dying there for us. Our become dead is an aorist that is pointing to a once for all death penalty that was endured for us when Jesus Christ laid down his life on the cross for us. Now let me say it as simply as I know how. We are dead to the law because the law's penalty has been paid for us. Jesus Christ took our hell and the terrors of our judgment upon himself, and we are dead to the law in him. This is why, beloved, you must, I must, all men everywhere must repent and believe the gospel because we are delivered from the curse of the law only by being made one with Jesus so that the power of his death is applied to us. It would be as if you went to a court of law and you owed a tremendous sum of, of, of debt and you, that you reneged on and someone comes alongside of you and he pays the entire debt that you owe. Well, the judge doesn't then say, well, you only have to pay half. And he doesn't say you have to pay more in interest. He says, you have to pay the exact amount required that my judgment has decreed. And that is what God has said. And that is what Jesus paid for you and I. So, beloved of God, salvation is by faith in Jesus alone. So, I call on you to please believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is by faith in Jesus that what he did for us 2,000 years ago, so long ago, that it becomes fresh, powerful, and applied to us by the work of the Holy Spirit today. You have to understand 
When we believe in Jesus, our relationship to the law radically changes. We are not under its curse. We are no longer dread its judgment. We no longer fear death. Is it because we are simple, giddy souls? No. It is because we look to a mighty Savior who paid the entire price. All to him we owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Now notice further in verse 4. It gets even more glorious. That we should be married to another. Once determined to save us, which he didn't have to do. There was no obligation laid upon God to do so by us other than what our sins warranted. He created us upright. He fashioned us with his own hand. And what did we do? We broke all of his commandments. We made his paradise a hell. We brought judgments galore. We don't even know what the earth looked like prior to sin. We don't have a clue. It became so bad, God sent a flood that changed and obliterated everything. And yet, having determined that he would save us, no other course was open to him that would satisfy his justice and would provide pardon to sinners than for him to lay upon his son our wrath and our curse so that we might obtain from Jesus cleansing and righteousness, which is his obedience imputed to us. So Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came forward and he paid the price of our redemption with his precious blood. He came forward as our husband. He came forward and said, this is my wife. I have chosen her for myself and the counsels of eternity. Yes, she's battered. She's bruised beyond recognition. She's justly condemned. But I am going to give my back to the smiters. I'm going to be sunk so very low to be no man, said Isaiah, so that I might save and beautify my bride. Jesus came forward as our husband, our savior the eternal Son of God, and He took upon Himself the full responsibility for our salvation. He bore God's wrath in our place. Remember the garden. Remember all the hell in His soul that He took as He anticipated draining the cup of divine judgment so that we would have everlasting life. And now He has stood before the just judge And he has received our death sentence and paid our penalty in full. So we are now bound to him forever. Praise the Lord. The nuptials we have with him, the engagement price was his blood. And we are bound to him and he is bound to us forever. And his righteousness, it's ours Paul said in 2 Corinthians that we are so closely now defined by our husband that the old things have passed away. All things have become new. We have a new husband. That husband is not the law in its wrath and judgment. That husband is the son of God who loves us and gave himself for us. And notice, 
that we should be married to another, even to him who was raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. This husband gives us his life for having died. He has raised, he is raised from the dead. And not for one moment should we ever think that being freed from the law's curse, that we can now live as we please. The reason for this is very simple. Jesus Christ did not simply die. He was raised for our justification. He not only bore the curse, but he also rose that we might walk in newness of life and bring forth fruit unto God. You see, our whole position, our connection to God, to the law, to life, has been changed. We are no longer condemned criminals. We are forgiven children. And it was not enough for God to provide propitiation. He also wanted to provide strength for us unto holiness. So what did our God and our Father do? In mercy, he united us to our vine. He united us to Yahweh, the branch, so that we would bring forth fruit and that we would look like him. Why do we need to look like him? Because sin makes us miserable. And God so loved us that he did not want us to stay in our misery. There are a lot of people out there who say, God just wants you to be happy. So X, Y, Z, fill in the blank. The Bible says God wants his children happy and blessed. So he laid our sins upon the back of his own son and then raised his son from the dead so that we could look like his son in obedience. So, yes, God does want us to be happy, but there is only one way in God's world for creatures to be happy. And that is by walking in obedience and bearing fruit unto God. That's why Peter said in Second Peter 1, 8, we will never be barren or unfruitful if we know Jesus. Jesus said in John 15, 5, in me you will bear much fruit. Think about this with me for a moment. Sometimes as believers, the battle against sin is long and it is tiring. But we need to remember That the vine, the branch, our beautifying husband is more powerful than all our sins. There may be areas in your life in which you have yielded to sinful thoughts, words, habits for many, many years. Our relationships at times appear to be so ravaged by sin that the recovery seems impossible and we give up. The the church herself in certain generations may look so compromised that recovery, restoration to strength is beyond even our ability to imagine. What are we supposed to do? What are we supposed to do exactly? We are supposed to do exactly what the apostle says here. To believe it and to pray in its light. Because Jesus Christ died to break the cursing power of the law by taking the curse upon himself. 
He rose from the dead. So that now being married to him, being united to him, we will bring forth fruit unto God. Remember who Jesus is. Look to him. Stop looking at how sinful you may be. Because, beloved, we are more sinful than we even know. Stop looking at the weakness, the paralysis, and spend more time looking at Jesus. He's Aaron's rod that butted. Jesus Christ is the snake on the pole. So if you are a child and you are rebellious against your parents, look to that snake on the pole. The Lord Jesus Christ, crucified and raised from the dead. If you remember, the Israelites were being bitten by fiery serpents in a region that was known for very, very aggressive, biting, poisonous serpents. And we're supposed to look towards a brass pole. That is going to heal us. I'm just going to believe God. It doesn't matter what I see with my eyes. Oh, my legs throbbing. I feel like I'm going to die. I've been bitten by this snake, this fiery serpent that God has sent to punish me for my rebellion. But God said, look at that snake on the pole. And I looked at that snake and the wound was gone. I am healed. I was running away and again I was bitten. The snakes are everywhere. I look again at the brass snake and again I am healed. Why? Because the snake, Jesus himself, set the relationship. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes on him should not perish but have everlasting life. So if you do not know him, look to him. Look to his righteousness. Look to his judgment on the cross in your place. Trust him. Look to his obedience. And as believers, if you do know the Lord and you are still snake bitten, as we all are in one way or another, where do you go? Well, there's no point for me. This is just the way it is for me. This is just the way my marriage is. This is just the way my children are. This is just the way I am. This is just the way the church is. Oh, too much looking at self and too little looking at the now resurrected snake on the pole who lives and reigns at the right hand of the Father. Stop looking at yourself. Stop looking at poor dead sinners. Imagine the Israelites in the wilderness. You could have sat there all day long and said, Oh, my poor son, he is bitten by the snake. My poor wife, oh no, now they are languishing and foaming at the mouth. Oh no, it's so bad. What should you have been doing? Looking at the snake on the pole. Going to your loved ones, to your friends, saying, Look at the snake on the pole. He alone has the power to heal. It's the same message for us. Look at Jesus Christ. He died and rose from the dead that we should bring forth fruit unto God. And no one 
No one who looks to him, cries to him, believes his promises will ever fail to bear fruit. He brings the most snake-bitten to full healing and back to life. So look to the Lamb of God. You can focus all you want on the failures of your husband. You can read books on how bad your husband is, how bad your wife is. If they would just follow the guru du jour, everything would be all better. Nope, a waste of time. It is far more useful to spend time seeking the Lamb of God for your husband without complaining, wife. Seeking the Lamb of God for your wife, husband, without complaining, and for your children. Well, this has been Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. As we have closed out our time together today, I would remind you that our desire is to know how this program encourages you in Christ. Now, there are a couple of three ways that you can contact us to provide us with this information. And again, it would really encourage us a great deal if you'd take a moment and let us know how the program is encouraging you in your walk and relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's how to contact us. Phone number is 408 408- Eight six six five six zero seven. That's four zero eight eight six six five six zero seven. Our website, where you can drop us an email and even learn a bit more about us, is reformedheritage.org. And then, of course, you can write to us at PMB. That stands for Post Mailbox Number four zero two fourteen eighty four Pollard Road, Los Gatos, California. The zip code is nine five zero three two. Now, there is another way you can contact us, and this would be the best of all, especially if you're not involved in a church at this time. Plan on visiting. Let us uh, fellowship face-to-face, as it were. We meet at Lone Hill Church, 2 in the afternoon on Sundays at 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. Directions can be found at our website, reformedheritage.org, or by calling 408-866-5607. By the way, copies of the broadcast are just $5. Mention today's date when you contact us, and we'll get a CD out to you right away. Thank you for joining us today. Until next time, God bless. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here. Here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. Salemnow.com.